0: Our January series is Seeking from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And more than just a Bible verse, we wanna participate together to earnestly seek God. What does that look like? There's a couple things happening this month. Prayer and fasting for three weeks. We've made it through two weeks. Don't slow down now, church. Don't slow down now. Let's finish strong And it's not easy to walk through that. If you're new here today and you're just hearing about it, you can join in for this week, a time of prayer and fasting where we're seeking God together. We do that every year, but we're not doing that just because we do it every year. We're doing it to really seek God, to seek his face, to seek his presence. And we see that throughout scripture. We see that through the history of our nation, that when we seek God, God shows up. That's one thing that's happening. Also, we introduced an interactive digital prayer wall and that's a gathering place. If you haven't joined in, it's real simple. There's a QR code right here in the lobby. Hundreds of us are now together with a digital prayer wall and that's something that's gonna continue, not just for the three weeks, but will continue throughout the year and beyond. Personally, it's encouraging as I share a prayer request what's happening in our church that there's a lot of people. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. Why do we have this prayer wall? Because we want unity to grow, we want connection to happen, and we want more prayer in our church, amen? Unity, connection, more prayer, it's just one way that it happens, but it is happening and it's really growing right now. And also, there's people in the community who want prayer and this is a way that they can enter in with us too and we can pray for them. Digital prayer wall, make sure you're involved with that. The last piece that I wanna mention, this Wednesday, Revival night, you think, why do we have revival night? Like we're worshiping God today, we're gathered today. Simply, we want more. We want more. We want more of God's presence. We want more of God's voice. We want more time with God. We wanna listen to God more, more of God's wisdom and encouragement, more of God's healing. There'll be an opportunity for baptism Wednesday. The elders will be praying with anyone who needs prayer, with oil, God will do a lot as we seek him because, again, anyone who earnestly seeks him, he shows up, he rewards, and he moves in power. We're looking forward to Wednesday night and all these things. We're seeking God together. We're starting the year. It's no question where our eyes are. Our eyes are on Jesus, and we're doing that together, not just alone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you know us and love us, and we really don't have anyone else that fully knows us and completely, perfectly loves us, and it brings us a lot of comfort and security and joy to know, Jesus, not only what you've done for us, but who you are, that we will spend eternity with you, and right now, we wanna grow in our faith, we wanna become more like you, Lord, and we commit this time to you in Jesus' name, amen the intersection of prayer and fasting is a birthplace. When you pray and you fast, God shows up. And when God shows up, God does new things. If you're someone who just wants everything to stay the same, this message is not one you're gonna enjoy. Because when God shows up, things will never be the same. Why would we pray and fast if we want everything to be the same? If we feel great about how everything is right now in Auburn, in the sound, in our country, in the nations, why would we fast and pray? But when you fast and pray, God shows up and does new things. He brings new clarity. He brings new courage, new conviction. He brings new direction in your life. He brings new purpose. He opens up new doors. He does so much when we seek him. And he's looking to and fro across the land. Is there anyone hungry for God? And God will show up. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. We're here today to seek God. That's why we gather. And not just individually again, but together we're seeking God. It's true throughout the Bible when people humbly fast and pray, God shows up. And when God shows up, it'll never be the same. Today we're gonna highlight four pictures, also four reasons why we fast and pray. Maybe you need some encouragement and reminders of what God does as we seek him. The first reason that we fast and pray is that we desire a deep encounter with God. Not something shallow, we desire a deep encounter. Listen to the longing in Moses' heart in Exodus chapter 33. He's someone who is hungry for God. He's having a conversation with God. He's at the top of the mountain. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory, seeking God's face, not just his hand. Moses is intentionally having a conversation with God, talking with God, listening to God. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's two-way communication. We share, we listen. Moses is hungry for God. Moses has done a lot without God's presence. How many of us have tried to do things without God leading us, without God's presence? We've done it our way in our strength and our plan only to realize later on it would have been so much better to follow God. There's a big difference between pathing your own course, charging ahead, blazing your own trail, and then yelling at God to get behind me and bless me versus I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna seek his face. Moses did things without the Lord. He even murdered a man, and the Lord wasn't in that. Moses had anger issues, and at this point in his life, about 80 years old, Moses has learned through long trials, I know what life is like alone, I know what it's like to do things my way, and I want to be close to God and do things his way. Maybe you're at that point in your life, your job, your marriage, you're at that point in your finances where you say, I want to do things God way, and it's going to start by seeking God. That's Moses' desire. In fact, Moses fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Not just once, but twice. The first time he receives the 10 commandments and yet the people run to idolatry. Moses comes down and smashes those tablets and then he goes back up for another 40 days of seeking God. And the Bible says, no food, no water, I don't recommend that fast to you necessarily. Don't leave today and say, I want to be just like Moses, no food and water for the next 40 days. This was a supernatural, it was sustaining power of God. And as you read passages like this and you start to wonder, because in your rational scientific mind, you're thinking, wait a minute, 40 days, there's no way 40 days without water. I don't think that happened. And you kind of have that, moment of decision. Like, am I going to trust the Bible? Am I not going to trust the Bible? Well, let me say it this way. Uh, The same God took five loaves of bread and two fish and multiplied it and fed the masses. And the same God, as the people went through the wilderness about a couple million, he provided fresh manna every day. And the same God who sustains our Heartbeat right now is the same God who's gonna give us resurrected bodies in heaven. When we see Jesus, our bodies will be transformed. They will no longer be mortal. They will be immortal and perfect. That's the God who we worship and serve. So when I read Moses didn't eat or drink any water for 40 days, I think to myself, that's really easy for God to sustain him. When you see the miracles in the Bible and you see sometimes what God is doing today, it's a chance to stop and check your view of God. Because some people will read this and they'll say, there's no way God could do that. And the problem isn't with God. The problem is our view of God. And some of us like to have a view of God that God always has to fit into my little scientific box, my little rational box, my little box of what I've seen in my experiences, and it doesn't work when you try to stuff God in there. When you read the Bible, let God be God. 40 days, and then again, 40 days. That's kind of a picture of leadership. Go the extra mile. Well, I did this and I thought it would be great, it started out great, had the 10 commandments, and then what happened? That's the picture of parenting. You think that should take care of it, that should be enough, no, there's a second round coming. This is servant leadership, Moses answering the call, and what is his desire? God, I wanna know you, I desire your presence. In Exodus 34, he spends time with God, Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets, the words of the covenant, the 10 commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. The Ten Commandments, the foundation for the Israelites, God's standards, God's law, God's holiness, the Ten Commandments, don't miss it, that the Ten Commandments were birthed out of a time of prayer and fasting. of a time of prayer and fasting, God revealed our nation, the foundation of the morality of our nation goes back to the Ten Commandments, Moses praying and fasting, God revealing, saying yes to God in these 10 commandments. Well, the law doesn't change hearts, but God's love and presence does. The law reveals to us that we need a savior, that we fall short of the 10 commandments. Now, Moses knows that the law is not number one. The law is a gift to guide us, but Moses knows it's about time in God's presence. It's about the living God. And Moses spends time with God and his face is radiant. Have you noticed that some people that spend time with Jesus, they just have a different countenance? They just have a different courage. They just have a different peace. If you look in some eyes, there's a fire in some eyes. And then if you look in other eyes, they kind of glaze over. There's kind of an emptiness, a discouragement, a distracted, a despair. Moses spends time with God. He doesn't even realize that he's radiant. The others notice. And you might spend time with God and people notice that and they see Jesus in you. They say, how can you have a non-anxious presence in the middle of this storm? Well, it's because you're spending time with Jesus. How can you have joy when the doctors just told you the condition of your illness? Well, I'm abiding with Jesus. When you abide with Jesus, you bear much fruit. Apart from him, you won't have a radiant face. Draw close to Jesus. Spend time with him. Linger in his presence. Hungry for God. Praying and fasting. You know, Paul is someone, again, praying and fasting and What was Paul's greatest desire? Paul lays it out like this, Philippians chapter three. And you might think, well, it's easy for Paul to kind of be complacent. I mean, he's seen miracles, he's planted churches. He's seen thousands coming to the Lord. He writes Bible. Like, wouldn't it be easy, Paul, just to kind of hit cruise control, just to chill for a while? Paul doesn't want any part of that stagnant faith. This is what he says. What is more, I consider everything a loss, When is the last time you've said that or someone said that to you? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says the treasures of this world, the things people pursue are like garbage compared to knowing Christ. What is the treasure of your life? Is it the presence of God? Paul says, I wanna know Christ, and he says two things, his power and his sufferings. A lot of people pray the first part. I wanna know Christ and his power. And they add, I wanna know Christ in his joy. I wanna know Christ in his wisdom. I wanna know Christ. That's only half the prayer. The other half is, I wanna know Christ and his suffering. Well, what does that mean? Jesus served people. He was sacrificial. He was unselfish and he was patient and he was forgiving and he was relentless. Even on the cross, he would lay down his life. Well, I don't know if I wanna live that way. I'm telling you the fullness of Jesus, his power, his suffering, Paul says I'm all in. If I see his power and cities are changed, I'll give him praise. As those cities are being changed, if they throw stones at me and throw me in jail and try to kill me, I'll rejoice because I wanna know Christ in that too. Christ will meet you in both places. Don't shrink your calling. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But Christ will be with you and sustain you and you will get to know Jesus in those persecutions. You will get to know Christ. And I challenge you to give me something more worthwhile in life than to know Christ. Is there a greater desire? Is there a greater goal? Is there a greater experience? Is there a greater satisfaction than to know Jesus? That's how good Jesus is. Praying and fasting intentionally, you know, even if you reluctantly fast, Some people aren't excited about fasting. Well, a part of me, I I don't like fasting, I'm gonna admit. If if you're reluctantly fasting, God still meets you there. How does that work? You know, you might be fasting because your life group's all fasting. The church said it'd be good to fast. You might be fasting because someone just kind of challenged you and said, what are you doing with fasting? And you're like, oh, I better get something together here and fast. Well, Jonah didn't wanna fast. He wanted to do his own thing. And what happened, God sent a fish and Jonah spent three days in the fish. That's called reluctant fasting <laughs> right there. That, that's, not, that's not serving up you know, fish sandwich, fish barbecue. That's like choosing, do I wanna eat something acidic out of the stomach or am I just gonna fast the three days? and God met him there and changed his life. God will meet you on the road of your rebellion and he will show up mighty that he's greater than all your rebellion. He will get your attention, he'll lead to your devotion. You know what happened to Jonah? He ended up saying yes to God, went to Nineveh, 120,000 people turned to God. From a man who was reluctantly fasting, God brought revival. It's about God, it's not about us. When we fast and pray, God moves, God shows up, God gets the glory. Jesus will often lay it out in such a way that there's the question in the room, the elephant in the room is, who wants more? Who wants more of God? Not everyone does. Jesus will use phrases like, I tell you the truth, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Everyone hears his words, but doesn't hear in the same way. Some people hear his words and it kind of goes in on one ear and out the other, or it's just a quick cognitive fact, it's just a quick Bible study knowledge. It's just they hear, but they don't really hear. And Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let them hear, let them shift, let them be a doer of the word, let them live for my glory. Who has ears to hear? Who wants more? of God's presence and his glory in our lives. Jesus will bring parables. Parables on the one hand, very easy to understand, everyday stories, everyday language, and yet a deep kingdom meaning that's profound. Jesus will say the kingdom is like a treasure buried in the field. And there's a man who discovered the treasure, sold everything he had joyfully, and bought the field. Well, we know what that means, but do we know what that means? We know what he's saying, but do we know what he's saying? In joy, with everything he had and sold, he bought that field, and he's all in with joy for God's kingdom. Not everyone who heard that parable wanted that parable. It separates his teaching. Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. In our culture, a lot of people pick up a cross and they put it around their neck. That can be a good thing. You wear that cross, I'm seeing it from football coaches to a wide range of people putting a cross, wearing a cross, picking up their cross, wearing it, and that can be a good thing, conversation starter. But Jesus said so much more than that. Jesus didn't wear a cross around his neck He was nailed to a cross on his back. And when he says, Pick up your cross, it's so much more than just putting a cross around your neck. It's counting the cost, it's laying down your life. And it's saying, I'm not living for this world. Jesus is my number one, and there's no close second. Whatever comes, comes. Whoever leaves, leaves. But I know. I'm gonna live for Christ in 2024, right here, right now, and not just in these walls, but where I live, work, learn, or play. I will pick up my cross daily, and I will live for Jesus. Not everyone wants that. Praying and fasting, a lot of people shrinking back. Sincere, hungry for more. Many people don't want more of God. If you think you've arrived, if you think this is just about knowledge and the right answers, if you think you have most of life figured out, if you're kind of going at it half-hearted, complacent, if you're distracted, if you're materialistic, if you wanna be loved and approved by the world all the time, if you wanna fit into the patterns of the world, if you wanna live with secret sins and unconfessed sins, if you walk in pride, if you're trying to be impressive and you're consumed with image maintenance, If you're not very humble or teachable, you just won't experience more of God. God doesn't show up in the same way in all places and with all people. And when we invite God and make room for God in our lives, God shows up in abundance. Why do we want depths with God? That's where the joy is. It's in his presence. That's where the peace is. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, a peace that transcends all understanding. That place in God's presence where we linger is where we receive. It's not achieved, it's received. On our own, we're always trying to achieve it, find some formula, find some way to get all the things that God provides. It's received, it's his grace. There's a security in his presence. When we go deep with God, our houses and our homes, our families are like a house on the rock and not the sand. You go deep with God, because you won't take people deeper than you go. Go deep with God because out of that depth, everything else in your life flows. You won't lead people if you don't go there. You won't, it'll be fake otherwise. You've got to be real about Jesus and this depth in the relationship with God. And sometimes that might feel like a challenge, but every good coach I've had challenged me And help me to keep going deeper. And the same truth spiritually. Why do we fast and pray? Because fasting is relational and we wanna go deeper with it. We want more of God. That's our heart's cry. That's primary. There's a couple other things I wanna mention. Another reason is God rescues, and we need a great rescue. In the book of Esther, Esther was someone who grew up without parents. She was adopted by Mordecai. She was overlooked, and a lot of people probably wrote her off. God didn't overlook Esther. Mordecai adopted her. She's Jewish in a culture where Jews are despised, seen as second rate by so many people, and yet, even with that upbringing and that context, God raised her up to be queen, Esther was queen of the land when the king made a decree because there was a man named Haman who wanted the Jews annihilated and he came alongside, convinced the king. The decree goes out. Haman, who's cruel, anti-Semitism is nothing new. It is all across the world today, it's nothing new. It's not good, it's not from God, it's not right. Haman embodied that, he set a trap how many times in the Bible will someone set a trap and then God has a final say and they'll end up going into the trap that they sent? Esther is gonna be God's instrument, but it's gonna take courage. She's in that position as queen and she's gonna risk her life. It looks like this in Esther chapter four. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. When's the last time you made that request? Have you ever asked someone, could you fast for me? Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Again, the king had a law. The king would not allow anyone to enter his presence uninvited. If someone did, they usually didn't live. That was the culture. That was the context. The king had an issue with the previous wife. It didn't play out well. Esther knows if she just shows up in the king's presence, the king could just say, kill her. I know that's foreign to us, because like, what, who says that to his wife? That's how the kings lived then. Esther knew it, and she knew she needed God's help. So in that situation right there, Esther's wisdom, she needs God's help. And she asks more people to pray. Do we need God's help? Do you sense you need God's help in your family? Do you sense we need God's help in this church? In Auburn and the Sound, our nation right now? Think of other nations. How much do we need God's help? Esther's wisdom is to know we need God's help. Let's fast and pray. A lot of people don't connect those two. We need God's help. People say, yes, yes, yes. So let's fast and pray. Everyone, fast and pray. God delivers. God brings a rescue. And when it looked like everyone was gonna be killed, she risked her life. One of the most important things in life is to know what mountains are worth dying on. You need to differentiate between the minors and the majors. Is this really worth getting into conflict over? Is this really worth risking my life and know those things and then go all out, whatever the consequences are. Live with that conviction, live with that courage in rescuing other people. There's gonna be a lot of people who die trying to rescue people from human trafficking, but they know that's a mountain they'll die on. That's worth it. And there's a lot of mountains right now that if things are gonna move, some people are gonna die to share Jesus, to pray. There's gonna be a lot of killing to advance God's work and love and change lives. Esther knew she was in that spot. She had the conviction and she knew this is why I'm here. This is why I'm the queen right now. This is why God opened the door. How many of you know when God opens a door, no one can shut it? And when God closes the door, no one can open it. She knew for such a time as this, this is her purpose. Do you know your purpose? When you wake up any morning, your purpose is so much bigger than your to-do list. Your purpose is so much bigger than your job description. Your purpose is so much bigger than your routines. Do you know your purpose? Do you know why in 2024, God's placed you where he has? Do you know why God's called you To where you are right now, it's not accident. Esther realized this. She says yes to God. Fasting and praying, God rescues. Who needs a rescue today? Have you continued to see what's happening in Ukraine? Rescue, it's needed. What about the Middle East the last few months? We need God's help. Nigeria, martyrs for the faith. We need God's help. North Korea, have you looked into the conditions in North Korea? We need God's help. We need a rescue. And we pray for the other nations. We love uh, people from all nations. God's moving in all nations. We have people from heaven in all nations. We pray because we love. And what about here? I'm not gonna ask you for your story and your testimony, but has God rescued you from any of this? Has he rescued you from alcohol, pornography, Drugs, unforgiveness, strife in your marriage, phone addictions, secret sins, human trafficking, unbelief, doubts, despair, worry, fears. Jesus rescues. Jesus came to set captives free. Sin wants to master you. Sin wants to get a stronghold in your life. And Jesus shows up greater than sin and says, this is the way out. And when he rescues you, don't stuff your testimony, share it with someone else. Because if God delivered you from drug addictions, you're probably going to speak a good word and help someone else be set free. What God rescues you from, God rescued me from unbelief and Part of that purpose of my life is to share the good news of Jesus and a relationship with God to everyone else who's stuck in that unbelief because I know what that's like. There's historical evidence. Facts lead to faith. What has God delivered you from? Who is he calling you to help? And when you say the mountains that need to move, it was through prayer and fasting in God's strong hand that slavery changed in this nation. Apartheid, Jim Crow laws, there's been so many systems that have been set up and sometimes it's people who call themselves Christians that are advocates and there's hypocrisy, but I'm telling you, in Jesus's day, Jesus was true and the religious leaders were false and Jesus walked in love and truth and there's gonna be a lot of people in the end times that say they're followers of Jesus, but you will see it by their fruit. And when you pray and fast, strongholds that have been there in your family for generations or strongholds that have been in our nation or neighborhoods for generations can change and move and be broken in Jesus' name because he still sets people free. Why do we fast and pray? Rescue, deliverance. The disciples saw someone had a demon, demon demon-possessed. And they just couldn't do anything about it. And they said, Jesus, we couldn't do anything here. We wanted to help. And Jesus said, that kind only comes out by prayer, prayer and fasting. When you pray and fast, there's spiritual power. There's spiritual power. And Jesus has power to break sin in our lives, sin patterns in our lives. Jesus has power over sin. Do you know the penalty of sin is nullified through Jesus? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus has power that we are gonna spend eternity with him and with no sin whatsoever in heaven. All the presence of sin and the devil is gone. Jesus is victorious. When we pray and fast, we lean in to the power of God and God rescues This next piece is encouraging, and this is a new season. You might be stepping into a new season. I know someone who's been without a job for months. God just provided. God gives new roles, new seasons, and he opens up new doors. And that's what was happening as the people returned from exile. In Ezra chapter eight, I think there's a little bit of biblical humor right here. Ezra chapter eight, verse 21, there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. They were returning from exile, going to Jerusalem. He says, and this is very transparent, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and He answered our prayer. They are traveling with what would be equivalent today, of millions of dollars with gold. and they distribute the gold amongst the different people. But here's kind of the, the funny part. is the Bible says, if you're going to boast, boast about the Lord. Don't do a bunch of boasting about yourself. Boast in the Lord and His goodness. Well, that's what they were doing. Ezra, they were talking about God. They were giving a good testimony. They were preaching it up. King, you know who doesn't fear God? King, let me tell you about God's power. Let me tell you about his provision. Let me tell you about his protection. And after that message, Ezra realized it would just be a little strange to declare that to the king and then say, "Uh, King, we're scared we're not gonna make it on this traveling We got a lot of gold, and could you just send some horsemen and some soldiers to protect us, please? And have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, what's faith, what's wise, what did I say about God, what should I do? And Ezra's kind of torn, and he's like, we're not asking the king for soldiers and horsemen. Everybody fast and pray. And they fast and pray, and God protects them on the journey. They make it back from exile. They are relying on God, and that provision where they come home to God, From exile. There's a lot of people last four years who have kind of spiritually been in exile. Do you know what exile feels like? Feels like you're on the outside looking in. Kind of feels like you're not sure if there's much hope. You're not sure if God really wants to be with you. You're not sure if God's ever gonna really welcome you back. Exile, you learn some things in exile. You learn what you don't want in exile. And the good news is God welcomes us home. And God welcomes them home, first with their hearts, then they're going to rebuild the city, and they're going to live in a different way than before exile. What is God calling you to do that would be living in a different way? Things would never be the same. Let me give you one habit and a place for it that I think would be transformative and just I can't even imagine what God would do. As we return to God with all our hearts and love God with all of our hearts, this is our hearts, and then it's also our habits, the way we live. Can you imagine if in every home, apartment, condominium, or if you don't have a home, wherever you sleep at night, can you imagine if daily, together we pray and we read the scripture? Can you imagine what would happen if daily, we started a new habit this year? That's prayer and fasting. We have less food. More more prayer, more scripture. Imagine what would happen if instead of just on Sundays, praying in the word, wherever you live, it might be a roommate, it might be a friend, it might be a parent, it might be a sibling. I don't know, your spouse, your kids, where you live. Imagine if a new habit started every day and around our church, at home, we just simply open up a Bible, read a little bit, and pray. Read a little bit and pray. What would God do? Can you picture that? Can you picture that? What would God do? As they return home from exile, this is what they know. We don't want it to be the same as before exile and exile, we know God is calling us to something new. We know God is calling us and this is a new season and we wanna say yes to God and be intentional and live for God. And I can't think of a better habit to cultivate than daily prayer and scripture reading and to do it where you live with people that you love. Breakthroughs come. New seasons, new breakthroughs. That's why we pray and fast. And then here's the fourth one, a citywide renewal. Nehemiah, again, returning from exile, seeing the brokenness. Does anyone see brokenness today? Is brokenness not more evident than it's ever been? And I'm not saying that with shame. I'm just saying people are grasping right now for truth, for hope, joy. Like it feels like coldness of the winter blues for so many people in this season of life. And then what what does it look like to have renewal? Nehemiah saw that things were bleak. And this is what Nehemiah did in chapter one. We read starting in verse two. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. All right, so Nehemiah's gathering information. How are the people doing? He loves the people. How are they doing? How's the city? They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. This is what Nehemiah decided to do. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Let's read that together. Read it out loud. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. God gave Nehemiah a vision for citywide renewal. God deposits things when we fast and pray that he is going to lead us and empower us to do. But it begins by listening to God and pouring out your heart to God and grieving over what you see that's not right and the injustice and grieving over those that don't have food and water and those right now who are abused. And as you grieve and seek God and pray, God will raise you up to make a difference in this world. And there's an old British evangelist who would say, draw a circle. Say, well, how's the world gonna change? And we've got wars, we've got poverty, we've got, you know, you just name it. He would say, this is how the world changed. Draw a circle around you and then ask God to revive you. Confess any sin. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for God's presence. And don't leave that circle until God fills you. And when he fills you, Leave that circle and watch what God will do. Mark Batterson wrote a book and it's uh, The Circle Maker. Mark planted a church in Washington, D.C. and he saw the brokenness in our nation's capital. And he planted a church over 15 years ago and there were about eight to 10 people who came the first year. Most church planters have a bigger vision than the same eight people coming the whole first year. And As they gathered on Sundays, he said he had to close his eyes because if he looked around and who was in the room and who wasn't in the room, he would be so discouraged. So closing his eyes helped him to focus on Jesus and just worship and not be so consumed with who's coming and who's around him. But he felt like something needed to happen and he started to read and in the book of Joshua, God says to Joshua, wherever you set your foot, I'm gonna give you the land. And with a holy confidence, he ventured out around Washington, D.C., and he ended up walking in a circle of about 4.7 miles. He knows the route. It was a muggy, hot, humid day. He isn't someone who likes to walk, but he was walking with that verse, meditating on that verse, praying for our nation's capital, walking in that circle. And now we look at the story of how God answered prayer and he shares that to encourage and inspire us to continue to pray and even prayer walks. And this is what happened. God not only built up that campus, but raised up seven more campuses. And God provided to areas including a facility that cost $8 million. God provided all that with no debt to raise up a campus. God took a crack house and changed it into the church's coffee house to build relationships. And God started to move in our nation's capital. What a reminder that when we seek God and pray and fast, there's nothing too difficult for the Lord. There's nothing too difficult for the Lord. What is God communicating to you? As we've been fasting and praying, for me, what's really stood out, what I've been focused on is praying for Auburn and the greater sound. And the reason I've been here over eight years and God's done a lot in our church. I'm not trying to belittle one blessing. He's done so much. I'm talking about when I look big picture it's from 10,000 feet at Auburn over the last eight years, I don't feel like it's really changed that much. We still have about 3 to 5% of people in our city that go to church and, and worship on a Sunday. Now, I'm not saying that is a drive-by guilting for me or anyone else. I'm not saying that we could do it in our own strength. What I am saying is that stirs me with a greater desire to see God move and the hope of God fill our city. And when you think about uh, the sound overall, uh, praying, God can do it. God's not finished with Seattle. God wants to do incredible things in this place. Will we join him? Will we fast and pray and humble ourselves and cry out to God? Uh, One thing, do you ever have those moments where you wonder, wait, God, are you saying that? Is that just me? Is that faith? Is that a little crazy? Uh, When we started this year in the fasting and prayer, I sensed I'm not gonna change my clothes. I'm still gonna do laundry, but I'm not gonna change this and the reason why is because i felt like i'm not going to change because our city hasn't really changed and this wearing the same thing every day is a little unique and it reminds me why i'm praying right now it reminds me pray for god to change our city pray for god to change our city in what only God can do. It's not going to be by might or power plans or methods. It'll be by the spirit of God. But when God moves throughout the Bible and the history of our nation, God gives a burden and God's people respond and they fast and pray and cry out and God raises up people who bring his light and his love and God changes cities. God changes our nation. He's done it many times and Habakkuk cries out, God we've heard about your great deeds. Now we stand in awe. God do it it again in our time, God, do it again in our time. I say fasting's not the end; it's just the start. As much as I'm looking forward to some foods next week, and it'll be a good day, uh, that's not the end. The goal of fasting is just not. Whew, I made it three weeks. That's the start. Nehemiah wasn't just like Whew, made it, prayed. No, that's the start. Fasting's not the end; that's the start. What happens when we fast and pray? There's a deep encounter with God. There are great rescues. There's a new season. And there's citywide renewal. Things will never be the same. We're not fasting and praying because we want everything to stay as it is right now. We're fasting and praying because we're saying no to the status quo. We know God wants to do something great. Things will never be the same. If you ask Moses, You know, after you were done fasting and praying, like, was it the same? Moses would say, it was not the same. Hey, Nehemiah, did the city stay the same after you were fasting and praying for Jerusalem? It didn't stay the same. Ezra, when you decided to fast and pray, did things stay the same in your community? They'll never be the same. We came back from exile. Jehoshaphat, what about that battle? The Ammonites show up and you pray and fast. God showed up. It wouldn't be the same. Paul, Barnabas, the church prays and fast. Did your life stay the same? No. We were surprised. God sent us out. And we planted churches and we shared the gospel. When you fast and pray, things will never be the same. Things aren't supposed to stay the same. That's when God moves. Is that what you want, more of God? Share in the fellowship of his power and his sufferings and to know Christ. That's the hunger that drives us together as we seek God to fast and pray, that the things this world offers, they look like garbage compared to God's presence. So we're gonna seek God and trust them with the other stuff, because if we're honest, we get way too wrapped up and excited about the other stuff, and we get worried and despaired. But there's joy in the presence of God. Let's.